Hello and welcome. This is season three of The Road Provides, a travel podcast for the next generation of travelers, adventurers, and vagabonds. I'm your host, Bradford Clement. Joining me on this psychedelic spirit quest through travel is my co-host, Nate Sundermeyer, aka the Jimmy Fallon of jet lag. We're back this week with our top 10 list of travel cliches and a Godzilla-sized journey across the Pacific. So hold on tight. This is The Road Provides. Yo, don't do Godzilla like that. Yo, Godzilla's working on it, man. Yo, Godzilla is that guy. Again, welcome and thanks for joining us, everybody. This is season three, episode three. Glad to have you along. Big Nate, what's the word in Denver? You're supposed to be packing right now, but it's very late and you've decided to record a podcast with me. You know what? Why have eight hours of sleep when you can have four? That's where I'm at. Um, I'm headed to Arizona tomorrow. Uh, Can you even sleep the night before a big uh, trip? Particularly like an early flight? I can't. Uh, I could. I. I do all right. I wish I probably had a few more hours here, but at the end of the day, it's all good because I. I'm. I'm pumped to be here. We got some fun things to talk about today, but also can always sleep on the plane. That's actually that's the bigger lies. I can't. Can't sleep for say, shit I on a plane. I can't do that. You don't get missed flight anxiety at all. Yeah, I think I've I've missed two morning flights in my life. Both domestically, not internationally, luckily. But uh, yeah, I think I I just set enough alarms. I have a watch, an Alexa, and my phone. So I have two terrible habits. One is I don't pack till the night before, and usually the, the last minute night before. So kind of like what you're doing is recording <laughs> yeah. this at night. Midnight, 1 o'clock, I'm throwing stuff into a bag. Then I try to crash. Again, so difficult for me to sleep that I'm only getting four hours. But I will trick my brain. I do that whole like wire your brain and body to where I have to be up at like 4.15 or, you know, 5.15 or something. And I'll just pop up like five minutes before my alarm and I won't miss it. But I can't tell if it's like that beautiful thing that, you know, you can trick your body to doing, or if it's just the sheer anxiety of the moment that wakes me up. And I'm not really in like deep sleep. It's just kind of shit sleep. that I Yeah. You're not, you're not banging out REMs the way you usually do. No, for sure. For sure. How are things on your end over there in Montana? What's going on up there? the big melt. I think, did I say this last podcast? I haven't seen my front yard in like two months and it's continued now. Um, and this is like the nasty time in winter. Do you get this in Denver where like yeah, everything's brown mm-hmm. and like wet and dusty and it's just like three months of like salting roads and sanding roads has accumulated and it's just, ugh. it's not the prettiest time to be in Montana. What's funny is I have my brother's coming out next week and my friend's coming in tomorrow. And I'm just like, in the back of my mind, I was like, ah, man, this isn't really the prettiest time to be here, but we're going to rip. We're going to let it rip. And anyway. didn't you say your your brother spent a grand to get out here? He spent a grand to get out to like a, basically a marsh wetland. Oh, uh, well, I'm glad he won't listen to this till after, but, <laughs> uh, you know, it, it does bring up a point. If you're going to mountain towns, you're going to these seasonal locations, you got to be really careful. I understand it's spring break for a lot of people. That's when my friend's coming to town tomorrow with his family and my brother's coming in the, the week after. But man, it can be hit or miss. And there's a lot of people who will come in to ski next week and they won't be skiing 
of Good Mountain because we're going to be in the 50s yeah. and it's going to be slosh, mashed potato stuff. And you won't get to do like snowshoeing is kind of off the books. Snowmobiling is off the books. Um, the lakes are now melted. So no skating or if you wanted to skate or ice anything. fish or something, that's off the books. So it's, um, yeah. Word to the wise. If these are in. these are my two least favorite months. And end of March and April are my least favorite months because you're like, oh, spring's around the corner. Then you'll you'll get a random snow. Then it's like 60 degrees. Then it's gonna snow, and then it's, it's gonna be muddy. Windy and cold, it's like and it's the just mud nasty. Yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's our little dirty. It's like going through secret. puberty. I think it's it's like kind of nature's going through puberty. Speaking of which, do you wanna <laughs> do you wanna grow up and grow into <laughs> some fucking travel takes right now or what? Yeah, let's do it. Let's grow into the pod. <laughs> Great. <laughs> You're watching uh, Boys to Men. The road provides. I didn't know we were going to take that for a second. Yeah. <laughs> I thought we were going to get really awkward. We are taking the red line to Shady Grove on this one. Metro DC being the travel realm and Shady Grove being in bumfuck Maryland. We are straight up out here, Brad, with some juice for your ears. What twisted take do you have for me this week? My take this week is summer 2022 is going to be the amateur travel season of the entire decade. Whoa. Nate, do you remember going to college freshman year and seeing those people who've never partied before? Legitimately, that was me. I look in the mirror, that's who that was. Had you never done a keg stand when you went to college? No, I'd never been... I, I, was, I was never drunk when I entered college, which is, I know, crazy now, but yeah. All right, well, your summer 2022. Can you imagine going to Ibiza this summer? Nobody's going to be able to contain themselves. That British mm -hmm. guy who's been living in a gray haze surrounded by British women for two years, what is he going to do with himself when he drops go into a visa <laughs> and look at a hot Spanish girl? He's going to explode. It's going to be amateur hour. Here's another one. Travel, summer 2022. Do you remember what it was like the first time you bought drugs? An eighth of weed, $100? Yeah, sure. That sounds about right. Take my money. <laughs> Everyone is getting hustled this summer just so they can get that sweet travel high. Gas prices, ridiculous. Flights, we've already established what kind of madness that's going to be, right? Hotel availability, tragic. Every business that survived the tourist crash of the pandemic is going to be out here trying to get their money back. And we're all going to pay like it's Omar on the block. <laughs> Anybody? Wire reference? No? All right. Last one. Remember what it's like to break up with a boyfriend or girlfriend? You just got over them, haven't seen them in months, then boom, they walk into the bar on your birthday? Have you had I've that feeling? To, uh, no, I know, but I've listened to Mr. Brightside, so yeah. All right. Awful. That's how all these European cities are going to feel. Parisians, after about a month of Chinese and American tourists, are going to remember in the pit of their stomachs what it was like to be in that relationship two years ago. Amateur wow. season, summer 2022. Thoughts, you know, comments, I think, concerns. I think there's been enough little blips of COVID releases of pressure that you're not going to get the same kind of like one night stands that'll help you get over. I okay. Is that a metaphor? <laughs> it's a bad. It's a bad analogy. Continue. Uh, but I think there's been like enough. There's been enough things that have happened. Like uh, enough little blips for like well, I went to Europe and you know people were able to go and do little trips. Uh, even you know Taylor lived in London and she was able to go to Greece for a week. And there was enough uh, little trips like that that I think 
there's been a little bit release of steam that might not create this massive explosion of travel urge, of urges and money and everything else. I I uh, just I got to push back on that. Uh, Americans, particularly if you know if that's the majority of our audience. Sorry, everybody else. For now, like Vegas is full fucking Vegas for the first time in two years right now. My mm -hmm. boy just went there. No mask, no nothing. Like it's wide open. Like nobody's telling you to put a mask on. It's gonna be full Vegas for the first time in two years. I fucking think that's rad. I actually, I'm going to come back with one more counterpoint and say- Are you countering my counter? I think we're going to have more COVID. I think the, I think we're going to get shut down again. No um, way. Don't, not to no, be pessimistic. No, no, no. They're already, they're already, the people who are looking at shit in the sewers- People have, have found just clicked an off uptick. the podcast. People have just clicked <laughs> off the podcast. Abort. I'm Dr. Fauci. Abort. Listen Abort. to Abort. me. <laughs> All right. Enough. No, I don't want any more of that shit. No. Here's, I think we should provide solution. If I'm being, if I'm having somewhat of a pessimistic outlook- What's the solution, right? I say if you still want to go, fuck it. Just go. But be prepared to get thrown up on. And be prepared to pay for fake cocaine. You're going to get ripped off. It's going to be messy, I believe. It's going to kind of be training wheel stuff. I don't think everybody's just going to jump back in and it's going to work perfectly. You get what I'm saying? I think yeah. it's still going to be a bit haphazard and, and a bit of a madhouse. You agree? Yeah. Have you ever been to Lollapalooza? I have. In Chicago? You know, like the 14 year olds that are from like the northern suburbs that are getting like really fucked up for the first time on like yeah, drugs. Molly, and, and, Molly wasted. Yeah, at exactly. And like at Ugh. Perry's, that like electronic stage. That's what I'm picturing when you're like, <laughs> that's what travel's going to be like. You're like, oh, you're going to the to Versailles. Boom. Just, everyone's just sloppy drunk, <laughs> like dragging themselves out there. But no, I, really I, do, I do think people are going to go compensate and go overly hard. Um, are people going to die? I don't know. I hope <laughs> that's what I you hope, make it sound like. I hope I hope nobody travel ODs. Another suggestion I think of as far as just like accepting that reality is if you can wait it out. September October I think is going to be dope. I think if you let everybody get it out of their system in June, like May. When does Coachella next month? Right then you have all these other festivals. If you let everybody, like you said, put a little release on those valves. April, May, June, July, August, come September, then I think maybe it calms down a little bit. Or just throw yourself into the storm and see what happens. I like that idea too. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of like the first one. Just go ahead and just be, be prepared for some mad shit to happen. I actually dropped this nugget on somebody the other day who was pretty well-traveled, and they said another good option is just to do something super obscure or do something mm. difficult. Make this the Patagonia year. Go to the Galap Galapagos, right? Go mm. to Machu Picchu. Go to somewhere where the entrance and or the distance is prohibitive or limited. Something mm -hmm. that naturally kind of restricts itself to being overcrowded or to becoming kind of a shit show or amateur hour. And I thought that was yeah. an astute observation. I wish I could claim it for my own. So Nice tip of the hat there. Tip I do the like that. I like, I like the space you're putting us in here. Good thing cool. to think right. about. Let's do something a little more trivial. <laughs> yeah, that's what you're gonna put on me. All right, let's, <laughs> let's go to your little. Let's go to your little trivial take over there. Let's Nate. get a little, uh, little, little trivial hot take, uh, Nate. No, uh, right. what do you what do you got for this this week? I think it's. Um, I'm not even gonna say it. Just fucking own it. Here's what my you? cute little trivial hot take. <laughs> <laughs> Rolled luggage is the only way forward. I know this sounds fucking crazy from the guy who backpacked on thirty liters three years ago. 
you're doing yourself a disservice traveling with a backpack. Is there any travel idea or dream more baked into our brains and romanticized than backpacking through Europe? I don't think so. You know what isn't romantic? Walking with a backpack on a very hot day. Going out to dinner in wrinkled-ass clothing. Having dirty sweat undies or fucking wet, moist guys just radiating through your backpack, just getting stank all over everything. That was probably a bit too graphic, Brad, but I think you know what you're saying. You broke rule number four is never say moist on the podcast. (laughs) Yeah, fair. Do you know, I mean, you live in a mountain town. I live in Denver. What peeves me more than anything is seeing forerunners and Jeeps loaded, lifted, and knowing that they never see any off-road action. It's the same shit with this. If you're hopping from city to city on buses and trains, are you going to walk three or four miles to your cute little Airbnb or hotel? No, you're going to take a taxi or an Uber. So you don't need to have the access of a backpack. Also, let's talk about price. You're going to go to REI and spend $200 to $400 on like a 55 liter backpack. Do you know how much suitcase you can get for $200 to $400? A lot. That shit's made with like industrial grade wheels. It's got fucking military-grade bulletproof Kevlar. It has, like, a battery big enough to jumpstart a fucking Yaris. <laughs> like, that's an exaggeration, but there's some slick-ass suitcases on the market now. And I think it's worth noting that you don't have to go through the struggles of putting everything on your back just to get everything across. So, Brad, don't succumb to the ideal of backpacking when you can be more practical, more comfortable, and more clean with an upscale suitcase. What are your thoughts on this? Yeah, you know, it's... Crazy is I had this big aha moment, shouts to Oprah, that when you said the backpacking thing, just the way you framed it, I forget how you said it exactly, but I think that's what sets us up to fail here. It's called backpacking, right? And it's like, oh, I'm going to go backpack Europe, or I'm going to go blah, blah, yeah. blah, blah. It's whoever came up with this idea of everybody just assumes that that's what you're supposed to wear. You know what I mean? Yeah, you have what to if, get the backpack. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, does it work if you if it's called? I'm gonna go suitcase Europe. Suitcasing nah, does, Europe doesn't, the same? doesn't sound as good, does it? No, it doesn't. But maybe we need to like rearrange the paradigm a bit, and I think maybe that's why some people are getting hung up on it. But here's my thing: I've never been a roller. I've always admired them from afar, the ease, the effortless style, right? But the form has always outweighed the function. They look great and in an airport on a linoleum floor, spectacular. But have you ever tried to use one of those in fucking Europe? You know what I mean? Cobblestone, sidewalks, all this other stuff. They, they just don't hold up. They get broken, they crack, whatever. Those wheels were just fucking awful. But that's not the case anymore. Like you said, these things are made like incredibly well. And I think they're super durable. So that that just changes. I think the game also, right I think the big thing is like you see the cobblestone streets and you say, how far am I really going to walk this thing? And you can go, I can lift it from like, you know, 10 yards across the street into the hotel lobby or, you know, up these stairs. Luggage sucks in general, right? It but does, yeah. if you can take away like 80% of the stress of having time. shit on your back. Yeah, yeah. Your carry time. You know, have you, I, I was going on, on a trip with Jess and we, for some reason I put my backpack on top of our suitcase and I was like, have you ever walked through an airport without anything on your back? It feels it's fucking, fucking crazy. It's like yeah. liberating. I was like, I was like, what have I been doing? Dude, I've been cheating a, myself. Yeah. yeah. And like, I look at the, I wasn't joking about admiring those guys. You ever see like the business gentleman walking through with his, 
blazer wrapped over his fucking roller and he's just casually walking there without holding any weight and i go yeah, yeah. that fucking looks awesome do you know but, I, think I was looking back through pictures of korea and i i think that's the thing too is like it's just so easy for things to get jammed in the bottom of a backpack i was looking through pictures of me in in seoul and i was like every single one of my shirts was wrinkled in the first week like now at this age i look back and i go that ruined my travel pictures well so that's why you move out of the backpack and you become a duffel bag boy I'm basically because you disclosure. I'm in the duffel bag point of my life too. Yes, same. I I hope rollers are in my near future. I think they are, but that's why you never do the top loading backpacks because then everything is wrinkled. You can't find anything. It's awful. So, we've made the evolution into duffel bag boys. Is the next evolution roller duffels? Have you seen the North Face roller duffel? Yeah, that I feel like those are too big. Or is it too (laughs) big? And is it trying too hard? Yeah, I don't know. I I feel like I remember in New Zealand, MacPack was selling like the specific travel. Like this is the ultimate travel backpack. Roll it, do it. I go. It's not anything. It's like not good at anything. So it's probably it's like an average backpack. It's probably an average roller. And I feel like you just got to commit. That's like a soccer player, you know, who can kind of defend. He can kind of attack. But when it comes down to it. Can you really count on him for either, you know, he's going to get smoked by a talented fast guy or when it comes to finish at the 16, you know, out of 16 yards, no way. This is a a a test to see if Chad, Chad could have gone D1, I think if he would have specialized in one position, but he played everything under the sun. And so that's why I'm saying, if he listens to the podcast, Chad, fucking shout out there. (laughs) If there's a lesson in all this, don't be a Chad. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, well, Thank you for uh, for entertaining me on that one. And um, yeah, I think a lot of good ideas bouncing around here. Uh, clearly, we're on the transition of boys to men. We're in the duffel bag boy stage. <laughs> All right. Well, let's switch it up then. Let's, uh, let's keep it moving. We're going back in time, Nate, to the days before Jimmy Fallon, before Jimmy Kimmel, back when a guy named David Letterman hosted the late night show. Nate, you were probably five at the time. Man's a dinosaur. Do you do you even remember ever watching? Of course, I remember David Letterman. Really on TV? Yeah. Anyway, so he had a bit called the Top Ten List. So this week we are doing our own version of that. We're doing the Top Ten Travel Cliches from the Road. It's pretty straightforward. It's just like any Top Ten List, but it's a list, and we got to get into it. (laughs) And there's ten of them. So Nate's going to get us started. Nate, start us off at number 10. Number 10, the Flash Packer. These are the big hat people. They're on the road for three weeks, and they felt like it was necessary to pack a huge hipster Stetson hat, cowboy hat, big dramatic SOB. They don't want to be photographed twice in the same outfit, which brings me to the ethos of the Flash Packer. These travelers are more concerned with how they look versus where they're going and what they are doing. I think our biggest criticism is why detract from your experience to focus on the drip? It's it's the wrong motivator to say, <laughs> I'm going to X place to take sick pics and impress other foreigners and locals with my aesthetic. What are your thoughts on this, Brad? Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I thought it was cool that we introduced this person. I'm not sure anybody's heard of the word flashpacker, but it's definitely been a part of the travel world the last five years. I myself have been lumped into this category. Definitely thought Brad was a flashpacker when I first Un- met him. Unju- sure. Unjustly so. I just wear black a lot. and Which, Yeah, it looks pretty flashy in, in, in Asia. It's like elephant pants, Hawaiian shirts, bang, 
Brad all black. <laughs> and this is true. It's like I kind of cut different. Uh, I don't know. There's nothing against these people, right? Uh, it's just basically, it's clearly like they belong in Austin or Silver Lake. The big hat is a thing or like the red wing boots or, you know, the incredibly ironed impeccable vest or something, you know, jewelry, all the accoutrements. It's... It's there. It's pretty undeniable. And to go back to your point, it just does feel like exhausting. It feels like it's an, a ton of effort to maintain this kind of look on the road. One thing I will add here too, which is I think a interesting observation, is out of all like the cultural appropriation happenings, the flashbackers are usually the first person to do it. <laughs> and it can only go one of two ways. It can either look fucking spectacular or it can <laughs> really look foolish. It yeah. looks pretty terrible, like in a like offensive culturally appropriating <laughs> way. So anyways, yeah. all right, I'll get us going on number, uh, number nine here, number nine in our top 10 list. And this is the sport fucking crusades. This what? is the, I, this is the idea of going to a different place solely to hook up with a local. They're kind of like the pasty rich white families that go to Africa just so they can kill an elephant, a lion or a gazelle or something, but just slightly less sinister. Uh, this isn't just guys either. I know plenty of women who fan about, uh, fantasize about going to a girl's trip to Italy just for that Italian man meat. The cliche across the board is that it's just so obvious. Like you can smell it on these people. It's stamped on their forehead. I kind of put them in the category with like the passport stamp counters, but this is mm. wildly more shallow than that. Uh, Nate, what do you think about the sport, the sport fucker? Yeah, I, I think, I think that it's like the people who you, you hear them and they're like, well, are there going to be any locals there? You know, but um, yeah, I think you can, you can see these people, you can see these people coming from a mile away. I think it's, there's like a, an energy that they're just kind of like, Horny, one-track vibes. Yeah, big right? creepy vibes, and um, just the way they talk to to locals and in in general, you see a lot of horny people on the road. But it's a different <laughs> different ethos. Uh, Everything seems so transactional to them. Everything mm -hmm. is just a connection point to get laid. You know, it's like we're gonna do, go do this, so then I could go home and shower and go to the bar and get <laughs> and find someone. It's wild. It's it's creepy. It's nasty. I'm not gonna lie, straight up, yeah, when I went to Colombia, would have been great to have sex with a girl in Colombia. Have you seen Colombian women? Have you seen Colombian men? Some of the most beautiful people on the planet. I Nobody can, in their right mind who's single can go to Colombia and tell me they did not fancy getting laid there. It's just bullshit. But letting it happen and going specifically <laughs> to Thailand, you know what I mean? To get laid by an Asian person is fucking, it's next level. If that's and creepy and kind of, that, that, yeah. That, if that's that peters on the whole sex tourism, one, yeah. Yeah, y'all got it. And so that's, that's what we get into next, which is this deep, dark, murky world we're going to sidestep out of real quick. So, Nate, move us on. What do we got at number eight? Number eight is the eat, pray, love phenomena. This is the expectation that travel is going to change you. By simply going to places with history, culture, old buildings, yoga, you're going to come out on the other side just completely enlightened, expelled of any previous shortcomings. From our experience, Brad, I think we can, I can speak for both of us here. I just don't think that's true. I think all the change on the road happened for me afterwards processing, or I think you've kind of said it here during because you take the time to pro, uh, reflect and process 
if we actually talk about the source of this phenomena, our girl, Lizzie, or you might know her as Elizabeth Gilbert. <laughs> Shout she just, Lizzie. <laughs> uh, she didn't just show up and like, she the put Italy, it India. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. She didn't just go out there and say, oh, I'm changed. I can write a book. She went out there and put in the work. And I think that's the important to, the distinction is you can go travel and make yourself better, but it just doesn't happen. You can't expect to like fly into Bangkok and be like, new me. I'm with you on this. Uh, it, we talked about this a little bit. You haven't done the, the book for sure. And you haven't done the movie either. Right. I yeah, but I, the, I lived it. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> I haven't done the book. I've seen the movie a couple of times. And I, I must first say Julie Roberts, National Treasure. That's it. National Treasure. Um, laugh. <laughs> I mean, those cheekbones, that smile. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. In the book, though I haven't read it, I, I'm assuming what I saw in the movie, it's just, it's got to be a lot more illuminating. And I imagine a lot more dirty. And I think that's what a lot of people don't accept here is the dirty work that goes into it. For example, from the movie and the book, she's in a month-long meditation or months-long, excuse me, medita meditation retreat and a seva practice, which is this act of service in yoga. That's just hard. If any of you tried meditating for a week or for a month, could you imagine doing that for three months? It's a lot. And when you get into something like that, you're really confronting fears you're confronting uncomfortable things about how you how you feel about your life if you're willing to delve into them and so we don't need to go into it that deep i just think as a good reminder when it comes to something like that is be engaged when you're traveling have active participation in what you're doing and then i think the big revelations and the healing and some of that stuff will come but just know i, I feel like you've got to move through some of that stuff right yeah Definitely. Cool. Number seven. This is one of my favorite traveler cliches. This is an actual person. And this is sunscreen guy or girl. These are likely your parents or redheads, Nate. Oh, come on. <laughs> or, your or your pale girlfriend. They think they're doing everyone a favor, but they're really just projecting their sun anxiety onto you. Again, nothing wrong with these folks, but... If I ask anything from sunscreen guy or sunscreen girl is just rub in all the sunscreen. When you leave that thick, hazy layer of white lotion that floats on your skin, like, like you're not doing oil, anyone any like favors. An oil spill <laughs> that gives me anxiety and that I'm not willing to settle for. So I should be wearing more sunscreen. I think this is a good reminder, especially before I spend three days baking in the sun. Are you heavy on the sunscreen? I need to be more do you, actually. Do you have J to Jess be? and I, Jess and I talked about going to Arizona and she's like, well, you better be wearing sunscreen. I was like, you are Italian. You don't need to be worried about it. <laughs> but the fact that she's already like concerned about for you, for me, that's, it, a, yeah. great, that's a great woman. You've done well. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, number six is the international tank top bros. They don't care about much except a good time. It's like their days consist of three things and three things only. It's drinking beer until they pass out, sleeping, then going to buy a tank top with the beer brand logo from the night before. You know Classic. Classic. They're down for a good time. They go with the flow and don't take themselves too seriously. I personally love these guys because they are a guaranteed good time. Meet them at a hostel, at a bar, and they're always trying to get things cooking, moving, having some fun. Dancing? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> There are a few variations of this, though, and I think, Brad, it comes down to one question. How big are their arms? 
Because if the arms are too big, I think you enter like a new tier of tank top guy. Then they're just in bro with capital B-R-O. That's who, they, yeah. that's who they are. They're out of tank top, bro. They're just in bro stage. And when it comes to dancing, without coordination, most mostly. That's, yeah, how, yeah. that's how tank top people dance, without I think they're, it's, it's not awkward. It's just Northern Europeans. I was afraid of tank tops. Not just because of the sun, but because of the stigma it has in the United States. By the end of my 18 months, you know, going, I had two tank tops. I kind of fell into this mold. I so wanted you, to be this. You, you can't internet. deny that you you can't deny the utility, right? Oh, it's comfortable, especially in a hot climate. Um, they don't stink as much, especially if you get one of those deep guys. I hate to say it, I had one too. <laughs> <laughs> I think I remember seeing this. <laughs> yeah, it was the Dirty Sanchez <laughs> barber shop. <laughs> Um, so you but did I, it. Yeah. instead of a beer, a beer company, you went and got some like, uh, yeah, I, I didn't, I didn't get a chain one. And then I, uh, yeah, I found another one actually with you that says Hanoi traffic and it's just like a traffic jam. It's really, really kind of kitschy, but I wore the shit out of those and they were, it was like, I don't know. I think they, you shouldn't be ashamed of it, especially once you get away from here. Listen, if you've been to Thailand, Central America, South America in that heat, in that humidity and you consciously choosing not to make your life easier and wear a tank top, then you're a masochist. I did. I didn't go full tank top. I didn't feel comfortable doing it. I don't like the spaghetti string shoulders. You know what I mean? That can just on my, on my thin body. It just doesn't compliment me that well. So I've just gone cut off sleeve and that's my workaround. Shouts to the tank top bros. Love you, Frank. <laughs> All right. I'm on number five. This is the old, let me get your Instagram, what's your Facebook? Social media swaps has become this shallow, anxious way to say goodbye or stay in touch. I don't think any of us can deny that. But what I'm advocating is leave somebody with something of substance, a skill, a gift, a poem, whatever, something of value, or maybe Nate, just the best hug you've ever given anybody. Instagram isn't a placeholder for relationships. And as someone who's lived through MySpace and now the fall of Facebook, there's a good chance that whatever platform you're using right now won't make it through the end of the decade. So I think it's fair. I, I will say oh, it's fair. It's fair. Yeah. I love it. I like it still. I think Bullshit. it's cool. I Bullshit. think it's cool seeing a window into people's lives where it's like, Oh, you live in like this random small town. And so Germany? you're, you're a closet Instagram stalker. Is that what you're saying? No, I'm not a closet. That you like, wanna, oh, that you, I think here's what I it is. You see go, a window you know, into their lives. You go, How many you, girls did you meet on the road? You Instagram swapped and you scrolled all the way down to their No, phone. even how even many, <laughs> how many? Not enough. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> uh, but I think, I think that I looked at it and, um, like you see some random person, like who is this person? And then you like look at it, and you're like, oh, that's that guy I like had two nights with. So that sounds <laughs> that was the guy I boned down with back <laughs> in Asia. No, uh, there's just you go, okay, yeah, oh, that's like the guy I met here. And then you're like, that's cool to see what he's doing now. And then like, there's a handful so of people who are that's like, cool for like, like no, man, that's cool for like six months in a year. After two years, are you real, really still trying to see yeah, the guy you I'm met for to, two nights? Yeah. I'm starting to unfollow those people or like, you know, you're like, yeah. oh, I met that girl on a bus. Yeah, she wasn't she wasn't that interesting. Hit the bricks. Get her out of here. Unfollow. Uh, uh, yeah, now it sounds I'm, like we're like we're like the fucking high and mighties of of Instagram. But, but, we but everyone, everyone goes Every, through that. Yeah. Everyone's going through this. Everybody's doing that. Someone probably just unfollowed me like 
this week or this month. Yeah, probably when um, I saw you release the first episode of the podcast. <laughs> he's still doing that? <laughs> he's still pushing that shit. So what I'm really saying here is show somebody like something fucking rad. Show them like uh, how to open a wine bottle without like a wine opener. Show somebody how to hail a cab in Greece. If you've been there for a couple weeks, pass that shit on. Do something memorable. Give people memories. Like you're in the hostel trying to cook something. Show them how to cook this fucking crazy like salad or whatever and give them a gift that they'll remember you for a lifetime like just don't get stuck yeah. in this default of like hey let me get your insta let me get your whatever and you just keep it moving and like that's your placeholder for how you stay in touch nah fucking do something that's really real and like exchange that please moving on I like it number four nate what you got number four is the pissing contest no matter what you say they will find a way to show you up. Here's how the convo goes. You're like, oh, I just went to Thailand. And they're like, oh, you went to Thailand? Did you go to Bangkok? Yeah. Did you go to Chiang Mai? Yeah. Oh, you haven't been to Pai? Oh, man, Pai's the best. Yeah, you really missed out. And then it's like, if it's not where, it's how or what. Oh, yeah, you went and saw elephants? Fuck you. I saw more elephants, you know. I saw my lions. Ele <laughs> my elephant also, you know, blew water up my ass. <laughs> and you're like, my goodness, no matter what you say, nothing's good enough. And I'd say it's pretty easy because these people you can find anywhere. But you, I think on the road, it's like just that much more annoying. Because after a few talking points, you realize they're not actually listening to you. They're just getting ready to tell you another anecdote from their road, their story, his story, history. Yeah. Too far on that. This is a this is a <laughs> this is a nasty little um streak you'll find on the road. And passport stamp counters can kind of be at the beginning of this spectrum. And then it gets wildly carried away into people who just want to one up you and tell you their next big great adventure or what they're gonna do or what they have done. So Yeah. In regular society, aren't these like the money people? Aren't these the people who just, uh, like, if we're not talking on the road, aren't these people who just like, oh, yeah, you know what I just bought? I just went there the other day and, like, they throw their money yeah. around. Isn't this – because in the travel world, like, your travel clout and cachet is all of where you've been and what you've done. What you've accomplished, what you've seen is kind of your currency. But when yeah. you're back home and you're not in that travel realm, where do people derive their, their clout from? And it's the bankroll. You know what I mean? Yeah. What you buy and what you drive and what you got. So I think that's something if you don't travel as much as you or I do, like you don't necessarily pick up. I think that's why this thing gets really fucking wild sometimes. And if you're if you're surrounded by one of the one of these guys who are on steroids, you're just like, eject, get me the fuck out of this party. I do not want to be around this dude. Or And then once you start realizing that everything they say just like ruins it for you. You're like, oh, <laughs> Now you're like, I'm not going to pie now just out of spite because this dude's a fucking douche. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. All right, number three in the top ten. We're getting down to it now, Nate. This is our top three. I don't know. Are we doing this? This isn't – we've kind of decided this isn't a ranking. This is no, just definitely not. A willy-nilly top fucking ten. crusader is the biggest one. <laughs> <laughs> so number three for me, and this kind of um, is a tangent or pulls on the thread of what Nate mentioned in his – Hot take. And these are huge travel packs. It's afternoon in Rome. You're grabbing lunch in a piazza and here they come. You swear Mount Everest was right around the corner. It's two 20-something tourists wearing massive backpacks. There's a canteen strapped to the side. There's some sandals hanging off. Somebody might have even gone so far as to hang their underwear on top. Have you seen that, Nate? Yeah. So it can dry. 
Where have they come from? And where are they going? Who told them to bring a pack that fucking big to go to Paris or Rome? Please, well, Nate, tell me. Uh, answer those I, questions. It has to be like, all right, well, I'm going backpacking, but I also want to bring all of this. Only solution? Bring the fucking 90-liter backpack. Bang. But it's crazy because I think I, I traveled with like a 55-liter bag, and by the end of it, I realized I didn't use half of it, especially yeah. once, I, once I donned a few tank tops. Um, <laughs> you're like, I only need a few what tank tops. you became tops. tank top, bro. But it looks like, yeah, it, it's crazy that it's like, how do you need – you don't need that much stuff. I don't care how long you're going on the road for. Uh, unless you're carrying like proper gear, fuck it. Don't bring that much stuff. Yeah, and I think more than judgment here, I want to I want to let people not make the same mistakes we did. My friend lent me his big backpack on one of the first trips I went on, and it was great. It came in handy as awesome pack. I think he still has it. But I think what we both understand now is one, the bigger the bag, the more shit you don't need. So in a, in a way to to kind of the solution and to help anybody moving forward who's just kind of getting into big trips and big travels, the smaller, the better, the more concise, and that particularly refers to your pack. Because you're not yeah. going out ever a space camp. <laughs> and and why would you want to? Yeah. <laughs> and you're not sleeping in sub-zero temperatures. Yeah. Well, well these are the last two. What, what we got for number two, Nate? What you got? Number two is the mayor of everywhere. This is the, the person that knows the valet, the concierge, the bartender, the maid, everyone. And they're, they're the ones who you see giving the advice uh, to the cabana guy. Man, you should never get married, you know. <laughs> uh, you want a like hot buying, stock yeah. tip? Yeah. Apple. <laughs> yeah. 20 years ago. You want to get rich quick? That's the kind of thing. I say that all the time. Uh, I'm just joking. Uh, they're like the people who are buying shots at like an all-inclusive resort, you know. Hey, let me get around for everyone, you know. Throwing out but finger they, guns. They, it's the same joke they've pulled again and again. And I think there's kind of two ways to to look at it. It's... The old, the old, there's the old rich dude of it, which is like, you can see it from a mile away. Like the way they converse with the staff, they've gone back to the same place or, or have stayed that, in the place long enough. That's his pulpit. You know what I mean? That's yeah. where he does his work. <laughs> yeah. That's his spot. He like, he's workshopped a few jokes. Yeah. Yeah. And honestly, that. a few of them I, may hit. Yeah. I love it. I don't mind if that. You, guy if sometimes. you take, if you take, if you take away the fact that like, you know, that the joke's been rehearsed, you're like, I'm all for it. <laughs> And then I think there's also like the young, the young mayor of everywhere, which is like at a hostel. It's like someone who's stayed at a place long enough and they know enough of the staff. They know a little bit of the dirt, but also like the benefit to these people is you're like, yo, Hey, I don't, I, can I get a towel? And they're like, yeah, I got you. And like, they kind of have like worked into the system. They don't work yep. there. They might work there in a few weeks, but they're they kind of cut, like, they the, can cut out the middleman. But also I feel like they're also, dare I say an entry level co cultural custodian. They've been in a place long enough. Ooh, that could be a, a point of <laughs> disruption. We'll leave that for later. Yeah. I will say this, though. I have been that guy at the hostel. <laughs> I have been the one who's... I lived in a hostel for two months when I was volunteering in Colombia. And I was the guy who people came in who's like, people were like, what are we doing? I was like, well, we can do this. We can do that. You know? And I like, I knew everything. I kind of like i could get you a towel i could get you beers i knew the wi-fi password it's a fucking great place to be you yeah. know what i mean because yeah there's quite a bit of power and responsibility in that position i think where it goes wrong is some people just get stuck in that position and some yeah. people get stuck at the resort or the hotel they make that their 
my dog's crate where she's lying in. That's her safe space. And they don't venture too far from the resort or the hotel lounge or the hostel. And you kind of get stuck there and that sucks. And so if we're talking about the mayor of everywhere, yeah, try and land on the front end of that. Be the mayor of fun and make shit happen. Don't be the mayor of like, I've got the perimeter of this entire resort locked down. But if you want to cross the street, you're on your own, bro. You're on your you're on your fucking own. I yeah, I can't yeah. do that. I can't do that for you. So, all right. Number one to finish us off here. This is overly profound goodbyes. What this looks like for me is, you've met for three days and say Hawaii. You had a blast together. You're best friends forever. Come visit me back in Denver. Let's meet again next year. With the likelihood of meeting an adult with a career in another country on their one big patient, big vacation of the year, it's very difficult. Chances are you're not going to see these people again ever, like for real. So what I'm saying is don't bullshit the moment. Don't promise anything. Make it an honest goodbye. Look them in the fucking eyes and make it one of those like 1800s, I'm getting on a ship to the new world goodbyes. You know, make that shit real. Like you're not going to see these people again. Do you get the difference? Yeah, it's goodbye versus, uh, I guess I'll see you later, which is not true. Yeah, it's fake and it's bullshit. And we all know that we're doing it. So I'm just saying, fucking stop doing it. Yeah. Yeah, I think as you get older, I feel like I've I realize like you realize like oh, I'm not gonna see this person again. But when I was younger, it's like that's it, there's like this novelty like I will see you again. I will see you in the next country. And like then you think about it, you're like if I go if I have like three days in the Netherlands, I know a lot of Dutch people now. There's like three or four I want to see. Sure. Really, it's just or that two. you may <laughs> or that you may be able to actually see. exactly. And so I think that's the tough part. And then you're like, how often do you go to Europe? Every three five years. So then you're like, you know what? You're probably not gonna see them. The idea of giving them the new world goodbye, though, that is the solution of all solutions. Just the biggest, like, yes, brother. <laughs> I, I I was in India, and I was in Rishikesh, and this is like a huge yoga, meditation, spiritual center in India. It's where a lot of f- folks go to do some real intense work. And I was doing, uh, I guess I was at the entry point of that for myself. But there's some other people on some other shit, Nate. And uh, when I say other shit, I mean other shit. And I met this guy who was on some other shit. And I kind of just in passing, we'd seen each other. It's one of those weird connections. You're in a town. You keep seeing somebody again. And after the second or third time, you say, hey, you know, and exchange niceties or whatever. And on the last time, kind of was like getting close to leaving. And I saw him. I was like, I was like, all right, you know, have a nice day. Take care of yourself. And he looked back at me and he goes, have a nice life. And just like the most, (laughs) the most like subdued, spiritual, transcendent stuff. And he like looked through me as he said it. I stopped and I didn't know what to say to that because he clearly meant it at a profound level. I just wasn't on that frequency. And I laughed at it and I joked at it about it for a while, but it sat with me this now for 10 years. And what I've been doing like the last three or four years is I tell this story to a lot of people. And when I say goodbye to them, I actually say, I was like, hey, have a nice life. And so they're in on the joke too. And we kind of yeah. make this as a, like, it's a nod to the reality of like, hey, there's a good chance we won't see each other. But we kind of like make a joke of it. And there's like an eye connection and the nod. And then I throw them deuces and I don't see them again. But it's you should uh, say it in the voice next time. Have uh, a nice life. Have a nice life. Anyway, so that's it. I think that's something cool we can all do. Um, and even maybe work in our, to our daily practices one way or the other. So 
Yeah. Let's get us rolling on to our last section of the night. As always, Nate's going to get us started with some bangers. Yeah. (laughs) Well, Brad, (laughs) we are wrapping up this cosmic ride through the travel cosmos or whatever you were saying at the beginning there (laughs) uh, by heading to a spot that is a guaranteed people pleaser. It's the People's Choice Award of Spots, where this season, the only criteria is, have you hosted an Olympic Games? Brad, where are we going to this time? He's funny, and if you guys are with us on now on three episodes, each city that we've done so far has hosted Olympic Games, and we did that unintentionally. Does it feel like we have to keep that going, or no? Yeah, probably. Nah, nah, nah. <laughs> I'm going to push back on that. So, Okay. Anyways. Where are we going to this week, Brad? This week, we're going big. Nate, have you seen Pacific Rim? I know, but I've lived it. <laughs> what happens in that movie? I don't know. Is that the one with the uh, earthquakes? No, I'm thinking of San Andreas with The Rock. Yeah. Classic mix-up. Uh, this one is about Japanese super monsters that battle each other in the ocean. Uh, they're called kaijus. Anyway, we're going that big, and we're going to Japan. We're doing a delectable two-city dalliance with Tokyo and Kyoto. So... Full disclosure here, before we get cracking, we're still kind of calibrating this part of the podcast. I think we're going to try something a little more formulaic this time around. It's going to start with each of us kind of breaking down why we want to go back. We've both been to Kyoto and Tokyo. Um, so we'll do that, and then we'll break into some more like traditional travel stuff, food, nature, all the, all the good jams. So, Nate, what's got you itching to go back? My full body is needs to be scratched. I got that many itches to go back to Japan. I think Tell Japan is one of my favorite places I've ever been to. I think I put countries I've been to like in categories of like under 10 days. In under 10 days, I think this Japan is my A1 favorite country. That you can uh, do in under 10 days. That you would do in under 10 days. You could or would do in under 10 days. Okay. Um, Japan, so, yeah. A1. A1 banger. <laughs> uh I think it's just, it's something so unique about the culture, the pulse, the food, the buzz that is just intoxicating. And I think it's that intersection of like getting you going, but also it's clean, it's safe. And it's, I think, especially talking about, I've been a lot of places in Asia, it is probably the easiest entry point into Asia Mm. just because of how easy it is to get around. It can be a bit overwhelming, but it's also like, it's a guaranteed banger. People love Japan. Uh, my friends are moving to Japan for three years, so I think next year Jess and I are going to visit them and Hell say, yeah. what's up? Hell yeah. Well, for me... That's why I'm going back. What about you? For me, well, it's a great reason to go back, to visit friends. I doubt they'll have a free place for you to stay because I hear housing accommodations in Japan It's, mi- are, it's military military based, so let's go for smart. a two-bedroom. All right. Well, yeah. Well, then you might be straight. Um, for me, Japan, Tokyo sp- specifically, it's like an upside down New York City. For real, picture going to New York City, but you can't read anything. Doors are backwards. No one speaks English. I love that shit. Drop me in a city like that. Delhi is somewhat similar. And it's just about discovering. It's about learning how to survive. It's a finding magical surprises. The kindness of strangers really leap out on you because you need them to survive. Technology can't save you in Japan, can it? It's just, no, (laughs) it's just too different, like too, too different. It's a beast. Most Americans can't begin to tame. So yeah, that's it. There's other stuff we're going to to talk about, but for me, it's just that let's jump in. Let's survive. It's a test of like will and travel strength. It just, I get so much travel adrenaline thinking about it. Just like New York, you could spend your whole life and not see all of it, right? Hell yeah. 
And that's the thing. It's just layer upon layer upon layer of Let's of go back in there. Discoveries. Are we let's back in there? <laughs> let's get in there. So let's get in there with food first. Nate, what do you got for us on the food tip? I think I've never like fallen in love with a cuisine so quickly. Obviously, I think p- people have had sushi and ramen. Um, but I was so high on the food. I was like eating everything on the plate. I like there was a point where I was eating like the orange rind and oh. Taylor and my sister my sister's like what are you doing? I was like, I don't know. I just was like, I'm fucking going for it. Like, eating like this is all so rapper. <laughs> yeah, it's like whatever. Like it's all edible, right? And so I was just going off my yeah. I was going off the fucking deep end, and it just was. Every meal was amazing. I mean, I think I had new things I've never had before. Top five meals of my life was Shin Udon, which is in um, Shibuya, I believe. But it is like udon noodles. They like drop the egg in it. It just was unbelievable. Tight little spot. Slam a few beers, bang, you're out of there. Can I? Should I do it? Can we do it? Shibuya. Anyways, <laughs> keeping it moving. Uh, Nate's on it. I just want to on it. I just kind of want to expand a little bit. Some like the philosophical stuff that he left. We've all had ramen, right? Ramen, though. I will say this: ramen has really made its like way into U.S. food economy Jeez, in the last like yeah. five, six years. But the ramen we eat here is like the fast food they ramen they eat in Japan. Imagine our ramen, but a thousand times better. That's what you get in Japan. It's the same thing with sushi. When you're eating sushi in Japan, it's like you're eating sushi on Mars. It's fucking incredible. Tempura is another one. And that's a little anecdote for me as, as Nate's mind was blown about his udon experience. Mine was tempura. I had some tempura in Kyoto that ruined me from ever eating tempura again in America. It was next level fucking bespoke mushrooms, perfectly fried. It was wild. And so I think if you've had a sample or a taste or an entry into Japanese food here in the US, just imagine that. But on just molly (laughs) imagine sushi on mdma that's what you're gonna get when you go to japan so moving on uh nate what are we seeing when we go to japan or what are you trying to see well we know there was godzilla and there's also king kong so let's go to the other city (laughs) we are tokyo uh, as we're just kind of saying that just has so much shit to do and see and i think japan kind of has its has some tricks up the sleeve and kind of is unexpected with just how much amazing nature is accessible. Sure. And so once we get to Kyoto, I'm talking mainly hit hitters around Kyoto. There's like a bamboo forest to the West, the Fushimi Inari shrine, Mount Otago, all of these trailheads are like accessible through public transport. And I want to mention the uh, Fushimi Inari shrine. You've probably seen pictures of it. It's like all the orange little doorways that go in a long patch. The amazing. The sheer amount and how they're built into the mountain just blew incredible. me away. But you have to go as early as you can. Go mm. be the first person there. I don't care how early you wake up because it is magical, but it easily can be ruined by people saying, let me take my picture. And as the day went on, it kind of – the novelty wore off. But I will say while we were there when there, no one else was there, it was magic and worth seeing. What else? Anything else in Kyoto, Tokyo, anything in between? There's a lot of things in between these two cities that are destinations, Mount Fuji being one of them because it is iconic. Yeah, and I think the transportation between the two destinations is fucking rad. And that's like a big selling point. We've both been on it, the bullet train from Tokyo to Kyoto. We're talking 200 mile an hour, pure fucking shred. (laughs) (laughs) You can't even take in the countryside. It's going so fast. It it doesn't matter. so fast. It is it's just a simple pleasure you get in Japan, but that's that's a bonus. If we're connecting these two cities, that's your connector, and it's part of 
this travel experience that we're going on. If I'm picking up on what you were putting down, Nate, nature for me was a big part of it. My fantasy is to go back to Japan just for the cherry blossoms. Mm. Those of us who grew up and or studied, like you, Nate, in the DC area, we're well familiar with the beauty of cherry blossoms and their bloom. And again, like with food, they take it to the next fucking level in Japan. Tokyo, Kyoto, Google Pictures, like the parks, the places you can go where they have all these beautiful cherry blossoms. It is, it's like March, April, usually. Yeah. And um, it is, bull. I can't say anything that's going to do anything justice to it. But when this podcast is over, Google cherry blossoms, Japan, and it'll blow your mind. Um, pivoting on what you want to see. I just really want to make clear, like the comparison here is Tokyo is very, very much like New Japan because the entire city was leveled during World War II. What makes Kyoto so beautiful is that it's the most well-preserved city from old Japan. It's like going back in time. It's like that snow globe travel shit. To the stuff that you see like in old movies, comic books, anime, like just this romantic, dramatic picture of Japan you might have in your mind. That's not Tokyo right now, but that is definitely Kyoto. And so I say it's like Tokyo is like the fifth element. Kyoto is Japanese calligraphy, the difference yeah. in art there, right? And, and style. So when I go to Tokyo, it's about fashion, amazing shopping, music, bars, weird, freaky Japanese shit, fetishes, all that stuff, the beauty and the chaos. Kyoto, I want to sip tea, stroll through parks, meditate in a Zen garden, like take in that type of beauty. Anything else you have kind of in that realm that you want to, yeah, that you want to distinguish? I feel like that's, it's kind of like I couldn't live in New York City, but it's a great place to go explore and kind of get in there and, and live have it up for on three that. or four days. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But I think Kyoto is, besides maybe Melbourne in Australia, easily the best city I'd want to live in. I felt like instantly I was like, wait, this wait, is wait. Such Can we pause that? Everywhere you've been in the world, if you could go live somewhere, Kyoto okay. is... Okay, let me rephrase all this. No, no, no. I'm just saying, like, <laughs> if if I said, hey, would you go move somewhere right now and you had the money and the means? No, no, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say Kyoto. I'm trying to say is, of places I've been to under five days, so I've spent five days in all these places, which is mainly most places I've been. Okay. Of all those places, I felt like Kyoto, I was like, I could live here, which right. is super rare for, I think... A, I think you a keep country with that much culture. I think you keep telling me to write a book. I think you need to do like Nate's five day principle of cities and do it's like it won't be a, <laughs> yeah. a long, a large volume, but like a small, like little travel book. I think. Anyways, I'm sorry I interrupted you. Uh, any last little tidbits that you wanted to drop? Yeah, a few more things I absolutely loved. Um, there, I went to an Oktoberfest in Yokohama, and I've been twice what? to the one in Munich. But the Oktoberfest in Yokohama was like a different. It was different gravy. It was like <laughs> they, they there was able they were able to like choreograph. I feel like just like Japanese culture is a bit more into like the choreographed dances. It yeah, was yeah, yeah. it blew blew my mind. Um, staying in yeah, staying in Japan. Uh, there's like these traditional alleyways. I think it's Yoko Yokocho. Or I'm, I'm you know I'm so embarrassed. But I'm so shy. Move move um, on. <laughs> But they're like traditional little alleyways with like tightly packed bars and they're like, they can seat four to 10 people. You just and, go over there and post they, up. And they only let four people in. Like imagine yeah. going to the bar that was just like, no, four people only get the fuck out. Yeah. But it's we like don't want your little coincidence. But I think if you and I had like, you know how Airbnb has like the experiences, if there's like the road provide experiences, I would say one of these in Japan, 
just sit, having snacks, sipping a few beers would be like our breeding ground. It would be like our A1 go-to be, spot. To, it would yeah. be day day one, first 48 hour, like first thing in the 48 hour plan for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, other thing, uh, you know, any other little bits, I love Harajuku, not for, there's like the high-end fashion, but they also have a bunch of thrift stores. I've gotten some really big heavy hitter personal items. Top three, that Hawaiian shirt I got was in Harajuku. Oh, yeah. Bang. Uh, really cool area. But anyways, uh, what other gems do you want to add on here? That's it. I, th- I think we've given people enough. I, I don't want to saturate, um, this, re- our recommendations kind of like moving forward with too many, like do this, do, do that. Cause it's just, man, it's so hard to speak to everybody. I think we kind of hit some of the big things. I would just say to pick up on your shopping, Harajuku, expensive shit. Uh, the fashion is dope and I can't wait to go back to Japan to shop, but bring your credit cards actually yeah, not, as it applies the to all of, place yeah yeah as it applies to all of japan and this is a big like thing to finish off on here japan needs a proper budget an unlimited one would be nice um it's not cheap nate you ready to get out of here you look like uh you look like you got a flight to get up for at 4 30 in the morning and you're ready to <laughs> yeah. go i'm i'm like hearing you talk and i'm also like do i gotta pack what pair of socks am i gonna bring you know like i'm uh, my brain is already starting to move on to the next thing as always, thanks for listening. Thanks for riding with us, guys. We're trying to kick the, the, the rust off the wheels here and get back into our full podcast form. And I felt like we kind of starting to round into that now. So stick with us the rest of the way. We got some more heat to get you through the spring and into summer. Nate, have more, a safe trip. More bangers. To- more bangers. Uh, Nate, have a safe trip tomorrow. I'll catch you on the flip side. You know what? Follow us at The Road Provides Pod. And uh, yeah, you don't need to know our personal handers because we're probably on some weird pervo shit anyways. <laughs> I shouldn't have said that. You're definitely a closet Instagram stalker. That's what we Oh, yeah. So. Just that's what we're doing. Anyways. Yeah. All right. We're out of here. This is The Road Provides.